0: This is really what I mean about the slowing down, because we have to slow down to see what matters. Glimpsing in this work is not enough. Like, just like, oh yeah, 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 I see, I see what's going on there. Yeah, yeah, I see, right, right. No, 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 that's actually dangerous.
1: Welcome to another episode of Everyday Leadership, and today I have the, the pleasure. Having a friend who is also, he's, a, he's an executive coach, he's a facilitator, he's someone who always makes me jealous when I look at his background from the wonderful <laughs> island that he's, he's situated in, in in Grenada. He's a great human being who has a lot of interest and experience in when it comes to not only like diversity, inclusion and equity in organisation, does a lot of work in that, in that field, But he also does a lot of work around men, around leading across social differences, about examining biases as well, and really focusing on systems. What's in the systems? What's in the works? What's with people? Creating and cultivating intimate conversations. A lot of times I talk about, it's about building bridges, not building walls. And my friend Akasha, It should be like Doctor Kasha. I know you got you got a PhD, so it should be it should be Doctor Kasha Saunders. You know, well, this is the only
0: time when you will use that title in this conversation. Okay, now, now, now it's done. You have had your runway with that. How are you doing? I'm good, my friend. It's really nice to be here with you and your listeners. Yeah, it's it's a nice Friday morning here in the islands, as you, you mentioned, it's quite breezy. I've been like sailboat watching this morning, not to make you jealous, but you know, it's not too, too busy. And coming here with you and talking, even the way we started our conversation before you hit record, you know, just talking about our kids and our families. It's just a really nice way to settle into the day.
1: What was it like? For a younger casho when you were a kid. Like what was the <laughs> what, was, what was the imagination at that point? Were you thinking, uh, what did you want to become? What you want to do? <laughs> you so I when
0: I was the first memory that came to mind when you asked that question was like my five-year-old self. Like I grew up in Jamaica and the islands and rural Jamaica, a parish called Portland. Green, lots of rain, quiet. Not a lot of cars, not a lot of buildings, lots of ocean, just beautiful, you know, being there, I, I maybe go to the shop to get flour and sugar and, that's a, and bread sometimes. Everything else we, we would eat from the land. So that's sort of life, you know. So when I'm playing with my cousins and friends and we're thirsty, we just stop and pick a coconut from the tree or an apple or a mango. And when it's time to eat dinner, we get some greens and we get some yam and we get a coconut and make oil. So I felt like I can smell the coconut oil even right now. <laughs> you know? I loved growing up. I didn't think that at the time, but I loved growing up in a rural place like that where we were so close to the earth. Because being so close to the earth actually put me in touch with sort of healing quality. I don't even know where it came from. And I just remember one day being in the woods, Shopee, and I was like imagining, I was like sitting back on a tree that, that the, the hurricane had came by and like knocked this tree over and this tree is like, you think I'm done? I'm going to keep growing. So like it just grew horizontally. <laughs> Some I'm like this five-year-old kid, you know, sitting back at this tree and daydreaming like um, of some other world flying across planets with different kids, you know, like healing people. And I was like, this feels like what I, this feels so natural to me. Like, this is what I want to do. And then when my granny would call and say, it's time to eat or time to sweep up the yard, I'm like, darn it. Why do I have to go back <laughs> to this world? <laughs> So the first thing I was really in touch with was like, I want to be a healer. I want to be a healer. That's how I felt as a, as a child growing up in Jamaica. The funny thing is that as I grew up, like it stayed with me and I thought of like going into counseling psychology, but men from where I live, don't do those sorts of things. You know, you go into medicine or accounting or, you know, like or hard sciences, like you don't do therapy. And so it scared me to even think about it. And I, I decided against it when it was time to go to college and I went into business. And I I don't like that I made that decision, but I'm okay with where I am now, you know, cause I still feel that I, I, I'm intentional about bringing a certain quality of healing to my work and enabling conditions that support healing and growth for others. I can't help it. It's like, I still feel like I fly from planet to planet even except now, it's like the planets are people, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> and countries,
1: you know, and countries, and countries you, you touch, you touch different people and countries, and episodes, right. so you traverse that for real, exactly, exactly. How did you keep that, nurture that, and sustain that? Like you said, in culture, those sorts of feelings and emotions, I mean, the way you were thinking is very, very different, and you. Did you keep that to yourself? Did you talk to anyone about it or did you just?
0: No, I, I didn't talk with anybody about it at all. So chances are if I, I don't know, maybe. There is some small possibility that if I had talked with an adult, they would have encouraged me to follow that path. But I was so impacted by my culture and what I saw around me that I just made the assumption, you know, that, hey, I'll go a different path. I wasn't even thinking like later I would do it, even though later I did end up doing most, mostly you know, academic studies in that space. And my work turned out to be in that space. But back then it was like, no, I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to go do computers and business. So that's what I did. I don't, there's nothing in me that looks like a computer business guy. <laughs> nothing about me or in me that's like, you're a business manager <laughs> or a programmer. But that's, that's what I went into because, you know, that's what young men in my culture did mostly. Our religion. When you
1: did that, you did that, but you did that in a non-profit, didn't you? Yes. that's Hold on, which part? The, the business side. Yeah. Yes, yes, I did.
0: Yeah, yeah. Most of it. <laughs> and I had a stint in banking. <laughs> this was craziest time of my life. It was a combination of like the first and only time where I'd ever worked for, like was an employee, was like nine to five. And I didn't know how to do that. It was like, it was so counterintuitive to anything that felt natural to me. And, uh, and I'm like, hold on, you want me to help you figure out how to get more money from the old lady there that's trying to make a living? Uh, mm, uh no <laughs> how, how long did you last uh, a little over two years <laughs> well this is where I actually discovered coaching because I realized I had much more fun I felt more alive when I was talking with my colleagues about their professional life and how they can transition out of banking to do what they love to do <laughs> That the work I was being paid to do. And I'm like, oh, there's something in this, but I don't know what it is. I need to find out what's this thing that I'm doing where I'm talking to people about their goals and holding them accountable. I don't like the part where they're not paying me for it, but I like the thing that I'm doing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's the point I need to figure out. This thing, but, I, I get it, but you know, let me, let me right. bring those two worlds together.
0: That's right, exactly. I'm in banking after all, you know, <laughs> so I can learn a thing or two
1: from, from this from this process. What was that journey like for you, which I'm going to call the re stroke awakening of you actually going on that coaching exploration and then start to like study human development and different things like that that you did?
0: Yeah, it really was there, you know, like I, while I was in banking and realizing that, that's not what I want to do. Like, There's nothing about this that feeds my soul, even while it was feeding my family. You know, it really did help us put food on the table and roof over our heads. But it felt like it was at a great cost. And it, it got to a point where it was too much, like I Like the intensity of knowing this is not what I want to do and feeling a clear and strong pull into serving people. And in what I know would frame as sort of developmental liberatory ways, like the strong pull for like wanting to spend all my time engaging with people in this way, creating spaces and opportunities for people to feel seen and supported around what matters to them. It, I got to a point where I couldn't not stop. I could not leave the banking space, even while people were like counseling me to say, hey, at least just stay until you have a little bit more money in the bank. I'm like, yeah, I might end up with more money in the bank, but then I'm going to be dead. Like my soul is going to be dead. <laughs> like the cost fell too much to me. You know, so I might end up like leaving and I have like, I don't know, $50,000 in the bank staying for a couple more years. I'm like, I don't know. no. (laughs) So I feel like my soul like intervene on my sort of mental thing. Like my soul is like, hey, what are you doing, man? This is not you. And I listened. I was very religious back then. So I was learning how to listen to the voice inside. My granny taught me that, you know, I've been thinking about my granny a lot lately, but she taught me how to listen. So I, I I listened and I left and I was broke. I found a coach training program, one of the most expensive programs, but it resonated with me. They took a sort of ontological orientation to the way they do coaching, which is like the approach of beingness, you know, like how we bring ourselves to our work, to our lives. And I'm like, well, the only way that I can do this program, it was in New York. I lived in Bermuda at the time. So I'd have to fly to New York monthly, once a month, do this program, find a place to stay, eat, and then come back. And I had zero dollars in my bank account, Shopee. I'm not even exaggerating. I'm like, well, the only way for me to actually participate in this program and transition into what's next for me is to start doing it right now. So I made a list of these people, the ones that I used to talk about in the bank, I made a list where I used to coach them for free. And I said, okay, I have a list of 25 people who I've been working with, or they're like big supporters. And I'm just going to tell them, I've transitioned fully into this work. I now charge hundred dollars an hour. And if they would like to continue getting the amazing support that they have been getting from me, they would now have to pay for it. I didn't say it so calmly. I was shaking out of my pants. My voice was sh- like, U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U-U. my insides was hot and tight. I felt like there were like prickly things all over my body in like the first five of these conversations. I wanted to like disappear, <laughs> but I was trusted, Shobi. I'm like, this direction feels good. And this feels hard as hell to like say to people, pay me money for talking to me so that I could support you is what matters to you. And it just so happens that despite all the nervousness and the shakiness, the first five people I talked with said yes. So they decided to pay me $400 a month. That was enough to fly to New York and go on a payment plan for this coach training program. And that's how I did it. And when I got to this program, it was so funny. I started one month late because I learned about this like after they started. And so when I got there, the the facilitators, they're like making a big fuss, like tell, asking me to tell all the other participants how many clients I have. So I'm feeling super self-aware, self-conscious, and embarrassed because I'm like, oh god, they've started like a month early, they may have like 20 clients already. I'm here with my five Misa clients, you know? And then I, I'm like, I held my head down in shame, Shopee. And I'm like, oh, I just have five clients. And people were like, what? <laughs> you have what? <laughs> and so apparently nobody else had any clients. <laughs> But circumstances, and I think listening to that voice and the nudge that my soul gave me made a lot of these things possible, even without thinking about what I was making possible. And I just carried on. Like before I finished this program, I was working with about 20 clients and it felt I was exactly where I saw myself, where I wanted to be, engaging in the type of conversations I wanted to with the people I wanted to, and the ways I wanted to, lots of flexibility. Who was beautiful, still is. I'm grateful to all those people who said yes to me, even when I was shaking and said, baby,
1: Mama, do you know, please, <laughs> please,
0: and some of them were like, uh, what did you say? <laughs> <laughs> You know when you're really shy about things and you're asking for something, but you're like muffling it up. That
1: that, that low voice. (laughs) That's right,
0: that's right. It's almost like the first time when I told my wife, my life partner, Nessa, the first time when I told her I love her. (laughs) I'm like, I I took her out to dinner. And I'm like, there's something I want to tell you. She's like, tell me. And then it started raining right there. And then I'm like, oh crap. Is it I tell her no or not? So I was like, just tell me. I'm like, I don't know. Well, i didn't hear you what did you say I'm like, oh. did you just say i love you very much i'm like yes that's it
1: so yep yeah, you got it no, we're right. you
0: got it that's it can we get out of the rain now please yeah so i'm so grateful to those people who said yeah
1: if you haven't already can you please follow the podcast it really helps us grow and it tells the apps that it's a podcast worth listening to, which the fact that you're listening to means that it is and other people need to know about it. In Apple Podcast, if you click the three dots in the top right of your app, look for the follow button and click on it. And in Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. Now let's get back into today's episode. But you have, to, you have to say yes to yourself first. Before they could say yes to you. And I think a lot of times that's what we don't tend to do. We, like you said, you, you had all those thoughts. You had those challenges in front of you, zero money in the bank. And you could have easily psyched yourself out with, oh, this is not right. This is a sign. But for you, it's actually, I'm going to lean more into, okay, I want to make this happen. And therefore that's the motivator that pushed me past the fear. Because this is what I want to do. And you recognize the value you've had on the people that you were given for free. A lot of times we don't do that. We
0: don't. I've been writing and thinking about this, that self-love is essential to fulfilling our purpose in the world. And by self-love, I mean, like I think of love as an acronym, you know, where we're leading ourselves, observing ourselves, valuing ourselves, like you just named, like valuing the contribution I make and then empowering ourselves to take the next action like self-love, self-leadership, self-observation, self-value, self-empowerment. And it might sound like a lot of selves. <laughs> it kind of is, but it's really, I promise you, that is really not an egoic, sol- well, the ego is involved in some ways because we yeah. need the ego to actually take some action. But I don't mean it in the sense of like, be full of yourself. Although I do kind of mean it in the sense of be full of yourself, maybe capital S self or soul or something that's synonymous with God or the universe. But be full of that. Be full of that and lead yourself from that place. Observe yourself, value yourself, empower yourself from those places. And then I think then purpose becomes clearer. The next step that we need to take becomes clearer. Sometimes even if it doesn't feel like we are the ones taking the next step. I've been in so many situations, Shopee, where then once I I said yes, I end up in the place. And I'm like, Hold on. Oh, did I get transported here again? <laughs> All I remember was saying yes. And then the next thing I know, I'm doing a workshop or I'm collecting a check or I'm landing in this new country that I've never been before, or I'm getting married to this amazing woman that I fell in love with. I'm like, okay. So saying yes to ourselves is the prerequisite for saying Yes to life and experiencing our purpose and manifesting that in the world, expressing what we stand for in the world. So yes to what you're saying, like saying yes to ourselves first and loving ourselves first. I think that self-discovery and self-love is a prerequisite to understanding and discovering our purpose and allowing that to unfold more in the world. You know, whether that's in leadership or whatever the thing is that we're doing. I think this is what I think.
1: So as you began to go on that journey, getting more clients, stepping into the world, what was that path? What did that path open up for you? Because you went from just focused on coaching to doing a lot more intentional work in particular areas. Yeah. This is where I got to like
0: my studies. You asked about, you know, like my doctoral thing and because the more, I, the more I engage in coaching, the more I realize really truly what I am k- super curious about. If someone were to like, you know, hold me over like a precipice and say, if you don't tell me what matters most to you, I will throw you over there. And I'll be like, you mean growth, human <laughs> groove. let me go. <laughs> so it became clearer to me that what I am most curious about and interested in is how we grow and develop as human beings. How we make sense of the world. And so then this took me to a path of like, how do I learn more about how we grow and develop? How we make sense of ourselves? How we make sense of the world around us? How we make sense of God? Whatever, how do we make sense? So I searched and I found this uh, program, the university in Santa Barbara called Fielding. And they do a lot of this exploration, you know, they started off, they have their roots in integral theory Ken Wilbur stuff, you know, looking at these multiple lines of development and different levels of systems through its equal quadrants. And they mix that with some social justice work, because it also mattered to me how people from marginalized groups also grow and develop. Oh, how Afro-Caribbean people make sense of their world. Because you know, we've been through a ton. Like our marginalized people have been through a ton. Humans have been through a ton. But I think some of us have been through more tons than others. And I think African people have been through more tons than others. And so I, I wanted to understand that a little bit more as well. Like how do we facilitate... Equity and justice for more of us, even while and for me, facilitating that so that people can grow and feel liberated and feel healed and become more of who they are. So I went and studied that. I went and studied that that field in where I could choose whatever I wanted to study. You know, they're they're very much principled and like self directed learning. It's a place truly, I think, and the essence of it, is for adult learners come and find people that you want to study with, ask them to mentor you and write, study, write, talk, and yeah, and experiment.
1: So I loved it. You find it challenging leading into that side of things when you're looking at people from African backgrounds or ethnic backgrounds, when a lot of the literature and education is not skewed towards that or doesn't have any real research in in our
0: background. Oh yeah, very challenging. It's one of the things I've been making a fuss about lately, you know, uh, maybe over the past three, four years or so. Actually, even beyond that, once I was doing my dissertation, because every series I find were some older, living or dead white man who wrote something about how we make sense of the world, who sometimes learned this from their kids, or their clients or patients, you know, who look just like them. So we aren't represented in those theories oftentimes. Even while I I can sometimes hold Shopee that, you know, the tension between, yeah, we're all humans, right? And some of these things will be common amongst us. And at the same time, that we are, there's some particulars to the culture and the social context that we grew up in. That makes us different, that makes us unique. And so how do the our uniqueness also calls for a different approach to the way that we serve each other? And so that's I mean, there are more and more writings and ideas and theories and concepts that are popping up around, you know, how do we serve people or marginalize? But it's not anywhere close to where it is. And it may very well be that when we research, we're like, okay, it's very similar to what these, you know, four parents came up with. But then we'll all be represented. More of us will be represented. So it won't be the same, you know? So it's still worth it to me. Man, there's so many places and people I work with, and even my students, like I teach here in Grenada at the university, teach developmental psychology. And the students, we always start off talking about how white the material is. And, you know, really there isn't anything that speaks to, there are more and more material, but there isn't much that speak to us. So I say, listen, part of our responsibility here as co-learners is to color the theory to add some color to the theory, add some color to this work, add some color to psychology and the way that different groups of people make sense. And so that's a part of our responsibility. We're not gonna throw out the existing theory, even while we recognize the tension that these theories also bring some liberating qualities and they also have some confining qualities. It's a part of our role to identify both and to elevate the liberatory possibilities and to dampen the constraining ones by partly by bringing more theory and ideas about how other people make sense of the world, indigenous people, black people, people of color, you know, and so on and so on. So yes, it's a challenge. And I know more and more people are addressing this challenge. And I love that. I think that's a beautiful thing. I think that's a necessary thing. I think that's one of the most inclusive things we can do at a sort of large scale, you know, to the global scale, include the voices of more of us into all theories.
1: Live your quotes. That's the name of the newsletter that you need to subscribe to. Go on www.everydayleadership.co.uk. Subscribe to live your quotes. It's a bi weekly newsletter that comes out with a quote with some information on how I'm looking at that quote, how that relates to my life to make it more real and authentic and come alive for you. As well as bits and pieces of might be books I'm reading, it might be some other content I'm tapping into, and some bits and pieces around the podcast. It's a nice short, succinct newsletter, which I know you're gonna enjoy. But to enjoy it, you need to subscribe to it. So again, if you go to the podcast website, www.EverydayLeadershipPodcast.co.uk, you'll be able to get access to the Your Quotes newsletter. Now let's get back into the episode. It's changed last, yeah, probably about three or four years, especially the last two years. And what I've actually found interesting has been, not that it's changed, but more some of the voices... That were previously ignored are now being listened to and being recognised a lot more and being given that airtime. Whereas previously, some of those Black Indigenous voices who had a lot to say and had the research to back it, they were just like, yeah, we're not, not going to listen to your voice because it wasn't, they didn't feel it was relevant. So that's been one of the interesting things I've noticed as well. There's a way within which we sort of approach work and theory,
0: right? Like it has to be written down you have to do like empirical studies and so on, like prove to us that this is the case. So so what I'm speaking about is like, like black indigenous people might feel like they have to bend themselves and shape themselves to fit into that structure, that mold. And I am not for that either, right? Because I want to honor that there are different ways that we know, there are different ways that we move through the world. and. So the recognition and the highlighting of these different ways is just as important as the way, as the thing that we are bringing forward, because I don't, some of the things that we understand and know as indigenous black people of color, it might not fit into the way that other things, we have come to understand other things, you know, and I would hate for us to try and prove ourselves to dominant systems and cultures. Like that just, it
1: just doesn't sit well with me. I'm 100% with you because actually part of that becomes you accepting me for who I am and what I have to offer. Not, like you said, me fitting into your world. Because even that in a sense is that is that power over, it's that dominant, it's that structural racism still at play. But the interesting thing is this, and I'm going to speak for myself. I know I had to get to the point where there was some of, some of the stuff I knew But I'm like, if I say this, if I put this out there, I don't have the years of data, statistical analysis behind me. So am I going to be laughed out? Are people going to ignore me? And I had to get to the point, like, you know what? Actually, a lot of things have come about with people just saying what's on their mind and then things have happened. So start to do it. But I had to go through my own journey. And it's not easy. (laughs) It's not easy to do. It's It's not. This goes back to
0: something you said earlier, which is like, which is like honoring ourselves first, seeing ourselves first, valuing ourselves first, because then, you know, I can, I feel a little sad at perhaps the possibility of the number of people who have stopped short of sharing their ideas because of this tension that you just described, because they're like, you know, who am I to offer an idea on this thing when there are a bunch of people who have written and researched about it, you know? Who are you not to share it? Like that way of presenting and exploring is one way, is one way that a group of people have said, this is the way that we will validate a knowledge, you know? And in some ways that's actually important, you know? And I think it's also limiting. And I think it can also be confining in the ways that you just described, like those barriers to entry in us, expressing our own truth and us expressing our own ways of knowing our own brilliance, our own wisdom. I think we're at a place, I think we've maybe always been at this place, but I think mostly now we're we're, we're more at this place where we need all our wisdom. Like our collective wisdom is the thing that's propelling us to whatever the next phase of our evolution as human beings are. Like not any one person, you know, like standing up and say, you know, I have a dream as much as we love the dreamer and that dream itself. Like, I think it's like we, we are dreaming and we have wisdom. And where might that take us? I, I strongly believe this is where we are and where we're going. Like our kids, our partners, like all of us, like dreaming and, and, and wising together, you know, and creating spaces where we can make a space for our collective wisdom to, to shine.
1: Quote that came to mind and I'm gonna butcher this. So we we'll listen very I think Steve Jobs that talked about those people who are crazy enough to think that they can change the world the ones who do. You must first believe in your own dreams. You don't believe that you can achieve what you want, there's no way you can make it. Those those dare to dream are like crazy or think crazy, something along those lines, basically. And we're talking about Apple way back in the day, but it's that. Because if we listen to you talking and sharing. Even though you said at the start, like, you wish you had done sooner. I'm like, that five-year-old boy who was dreaming at that point in time and what you just, yeah, and to where you are right now, that is, in a sense, that dream coming to reality. And you going on that journey and that exploration and even the work that you do, releasing other people to do exactly what you always wanted to do, which is for you, you described as in search of achieving and fulfilling that human potential and that growth edge but for me it's like no that five year old Akash is alive and kicking right now and he's doing what he always wanted to do. I love you like name and invite my five year old self. He's
0: like thank you Shopee thank you Shopee (laughs) he's so so giddy right now (laughs) I'm like take it easy get some ice cream right now (laughs) I go celebrate over there. <laughs> but yeah, you know, like I love this, like honoring the dreamer in us, you know, irrespective of how, how old they are. And I think we all love them. Like my 16 my year old son who celebrated his 16th birthday yesterday, I learned so much from him. It's like I call him my little guru. I used to call him my little, my mini guru, but he's, so, he's taller than me now, which is really embarrassing. So uh, calling him my minimum guru doesn't work anymore, but I learned so much from him. And the other day we were talking, we were just walking in the neighborhood and I was asking him about this. He asked me about my day, which is like, I've, he's such a thoughtful kid. So I told him about my day and then I asked him what's going on with him. And he's like, dad, I've been thinking a lot, you know, about like kids feeling as though they have to wait until they finish school to live their dreams and to realize their dreams. So that my work in the world, who's 15 at the time, like my work in the world dad is help kids realize their dreams that they can realize it now. They don't have to wait until later. So I'm like, you know, there's something powerful in that. Like you and I can say, well, you know, yeah, they may need to grow up a little and so on. But no, I'm like, I get the the energy and the spirit that he's coming with. He's like, no, don't delay the expression of our dreams. No, live them right now. Live them who, who's who, who come up with this thing that you wait until you finish school, then you can or you wait until after you married or your first job, then or wait until you retire. Wait until you retire. Then you can move to Grenada and live on a nice island and use your pension money, you know, like wait, who the heck come up with this nonsense? <laughs> So my son is like, no dad, I'm not subscribing to that. And I don't want this generation to subscribe to that either. So I want to be with young people and for us to work on realizing our dreams now. And that made me feel so hopeful
1: and proud. A smart young man, love that energy and that desire to be like, you can live it now. You don't have to wait. What has parenting brought out of you? How has it helped you grow?
0: Oh, God, <laughs> what a question. <laughs> you and I were riffing on this before you press record, you know. And we both alluded to, like, it feels like the most important job. And I know it sounds like a bit cliche, but whatever. If it sounds cliche, then whatever. But that's the reality of it. Because it's the way it is. You know, like, I didn't, I didn't have my father around. You know, he decided to skip town before I was born. You know, he sort of, this story my mom told me, is like he gave her an ultimatum. You know, it's like either you come and live with me or I won't take care of you and this baby. And my mom is a good Christian lady and she slipped and, you know, made a mistake. Uh, How she felt about it. And so she was trying to clean up her life and she didn't want to like exacerbate things further by going and living out of wedlock with this man but to give a woman an ultimatum like that. I'm like, shame on you, shame, 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 shame on you. Anyways, I didn't grow up with him. And uh, and she wasn't around for a while because life was just hard and she had to leave and go work and, you know, to take care of us. So I was thinking about, I grew up with my granny. I mentioned my granny earlier. And my granny taught me how to recognize abundance by asking for whatever I want. Her way of teaching me was to pray. But she says, pray and see what you want and just ask for that. And it never failed. No kidding. She also taught me about love. My granny, she'll be had like over 200 kids great grandkids, grandkids, a lot. There are a lot of us, a whole lot. Yes. And you know, from my perspective, she loved every single one of us deeply. I don't know if I can say the same, but I think everyone could say, oh, I, there were times in my life where I felt like her favorite. Like, to, for someone to have so much love and to express so much love. So I learned those two things from her. Abundance and love. And that there is abundant love and that we can love abundantly. So I can play with those two words all over in many different ways. <laughs> and that's the simplicity that my grandmother taught me. And it's also the simplicity that I tried to bring to my parenting. You know, so Mr. Kari, he invites me to live out those principles that I can love him fully, deeply. I can be in love with him and I can be in a space of abundance with him and encourage that. And the more... The more we show up together, the more solid those principles become and the more universal they become. So it's not just like applying it to parenting, you know, it's applying it all over. And he's picking up on these things. Like yesterday, we were talking a bit, and he, a couple of things about yesterday. It was his birthday, and oh, he's, he's in Bermuda, and his, his grandparents are there. So Anessa, my partner and I asked him, so what, you know, how do you want to spend your, spend your birthday? And he's like, I want to be with the rest of my family and friends. I would love to go to Bermuda. I know it might be impossible, but that if you ask him what I would really like, that's what I would like. And I'm like, man, that's cool. You know, you want to, you want to be with those that you love. I get it. Let's see if we can make it happen. And we made it happen. And so For me, like that principle and him providing the opportunity for me to express those principles more. He's like, dad, what if, and he's like, dad, what if kids could realize their dreams? And then we got into this conversation about doing a retreat together and we're going to do a retreat together in a few months. So it's like, he helps me to materialize love and abundance And those are the big things I learned from him. Like he, for me, I'm doing some things as a parent for sure, but in our dynamic together, in our dynamic together, he's like an alchemist that really creates the opportunity for us to materialize love and abundance, to make these things tangible and not just like concepts, not just ideas, you know? Yesterday, he said, Dad, I need your advice. (laughs) He called me, he was sitting in Bermuda, he leaves today. And he said, I collected 690 US dollars for my birthday. And knowing what you know about me, I feel like I have a choice here. Like, should I use this money to buy more stocks or should I buy clothes? So I want your honest advice here. So I'm like, first of all, I have a 16 year old son whose choices with his money are buying stock. I had no idea what stocks were when I was 16. Yeah, but I said that doesn't sound right. <laughs> I'm like, this is the kind of person he is, and I love this about him. Like he studies these things on his own and tells me about what stocks are doing well and which one he's investing in. me. I'm like, okay, buddy. You know, his dream is to like be. A, Be wealthy, be an entrepreneur. And he's living his dream. So I'm like, okay. So knowing what I know about you, I would say buy stocks and tell your parents what clothes you need and ask them to buy the clothes. (laughs) But in retrospect, I was talking with a friend, another friend this morning, and he said, you know, I love what you said. And I would have said to him, I would have said to him, What do you want to learn about this money? What do you want to learn about yourself with this money? And I love that question, actually. So I'm going to also suggest that to him. But here's this kid that is quite intentional, I find, about how he wants to show up in life. And that makes me the proudest. And this is a kid who doctors said that he wouldn't have made it, you know. Because when he was born, it was just really challenging. And he has some disabilities. They call cerebral palsy. But he could care less about whatever these things are and the limitations of them. And because of that, I also care less about what they are <laughs> and any limitations. So we're just like living our lives and he's just like living his life. And and I'm also proud of that. I'm also very proud of him for that.
1: Listen to you talk about your son, the learning, the lessons that you've got from him, the love that's there. Listen to you talk about the love that your grandma taught you and how to love. I make that connection, it makes that connection a lot easier for me when I think about, cause some of the work that you do, like I talked about at the start, is around leading across difference. And you in a sense, intentionally engage in topics that can be confrontational, that can be triggering, that can be political, especially in this climate that we are. But you intentionally, it's like you run into that. And for me, it's like you're leading, do you know that from a place of love because of the relationship you had with your grandma, because of the relationship that you have with your son. And I I, I never put those... Those two or two together, where it's quite interesting how that can drive you forward. Yeah,
0: you're figuring out my secret sauce here. (laughs) Because you know, you could call me crazy or whatever, but I do believe, I do hold that love is abundant, and even if we have hurt each other, and and oftentimes there's conflict when we engage across our differences. Like if we stand in that abundant love, I think so many things can be made possible. I think healing is possible. I think uh, growth is possible. I think collaboration is possible. I think forgiveness is possible. Like, I think possibility is possible. If we stand in love and engage from that place even when we have stumbled, even when others have hurt us. And it's not to say we should turn a blind eye. I'm not, I don't believe in those things at all. I think we should name them. I think we should sit in them. And there's one of our colleagues, one of our mutual colleagues, Shofi, I witnessed her do this really well. There are few of us that do this, but I'm thinking of Vernice right now, Vernice Jones, and her capacity to just be in the fire with others. To be in the heat when, when there is conflict, when there is harm, and to not like just run over it, dismiss it, minimize it, cover it up, like just sit in it. I learned so much from her and how she sits in it as well. And I think that's another way of manifesting like, or grounding ourselves in something much larger than our wounding. And I think love is much larger than our wounding and even than our dreams. And even then our perspectives it's like offload the wound, our preferences, our biases, and just, just like put them in this ocean of love and just see what happens. The parts of our identities that are harder to embrace, the parts of other people's identities and perspectives that's hard for us to embrace. Can we put them in something that's much greater than ourselves and look at them together? Be in it together, don't need to rush it. I think to facilitate these sort of experiences, inclusion, belonging, we ought to slow down, be slowed down, make space for it, make space for each other, make space for love to do its work. Like, you know, get out of the way, let love heal us, let love direct us. And I don't necessarily even mean this in a mushy way, you know, Shopee, because There are acts of love that we also need to perform in the way that we listen to each other, in the way that we talk with each other, in the way that we invite each other in, are also acts of love. So I think love is also active, isn't a passive thing that's gonna be like doing a thing on its own. And I think it also is a thing that does this thing on its own.
1: So we have a role to play in it too. It's very countercultural, in slowing down it's countercultural. The leading with love and leading into love is very countercultural. And it seems like that's one of the things that's required where you have to be intentional because the default or the automatic response is to do the things that are with the culture, which I guess a lot of times is why you see a lot of the negativity or the hate or the back and forth. But when you are intentional, that means you stop and reflect, and then you can do the things that. Well, let's do something slightly different. Let's be countercultural. Let's have a conversation. Let's lead with love. Let's stop, slow it down, talk. Which I think is probably one of the. (laughs) You know what you say now? He's like, "But this is this is not rocket science. It's not radical." But yeah, it doesn't happen often. It doesn't seem that easy. Yeah. And I'm also
0: like mindful, even as we're talking about love, that it can also be triggering for some people. You know, like I've worked in different contexts and talk about love and people are like, you know, tensing up. And they're like, may, f- may have the sense that we're using love to cover the issue, to cover the pain, to cover the woundedness. And that's not what we, you and I are talking about here. So we don't even have to use that word. But we need to embody it. We need to embody the spirit and essence of love. Like seeing others and seeing what matter to them. Listening in a way that says, you are important. You matter. And there's this Zulu greeting I learned some years ago that I've just fallen in love with. Sarabona, I see you. Like that, the essence of that, the spirit of that. Like when we're in every encounter, facilitating any workshop, in a coaching session, teaching in a class, parenting our kids, loving our partners. It's like, can we slow down enough to see each other? This is why I think the slowing down, this is really what I mean about the slowing down. Because we have to slow down to see what matters. Glimpsing in this work is not enough. Like just like, oh yeah, 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 I see, I see what's going on there. Yeah, yeah, I see, right, right. No, 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 no. That's actually dangerous. I think we need to slow down and look stare even at each other and say, ah, I see you, I see you. I see what matters to you here, even though I have my own triggers around that thing and biases against that thing. And I see that it matters to you. Can you tell me more about how it matters to you? That's even slowing it down further. This is what I mean, like slow, like slowing down to see each other. I think seeing is loving and loving is knowing. And knowing just opens up all kinds of possibilities, (laughs) you know.
1: (laughs) To look to you, the future, what matters to Katha?
0: Oh, boy. I think this this thing that we're on about, like slowing down and making more room for each other slowing down and loving each other publicly across our differences, facilitating more of that. And that's going to show up in a lot of different ways. I imagine, you know, in boardrooms, conference rooms, workshops in the classroom and country levels. I have this dream right now that some of what could be helpful, helpful to us as, as a human race. And for me, as, Caribbean people, is to have some skills to see each other more, have some skills about improving the ways that we relate. And so I have this dream about opening up a space, a learning, healing, growing space where people can come and practice just seeing, practice just being with each other. Learning some developmental skills that they can then take to their homes, their workplaces, their classrooms. But it's not like a, it's not to acquire knowledge, it's to embody love, it's to embody a deeper way of knowing, a deeper way of seeing. And then let's go out and then like just spread that like wildfire across this island, across the region, you know, and wherever else. It might be needed, which I have a bias that it's everywhere where people are, <laughs> but I'm leaning into a, a, that a lot more these days. Grenada, where I live, is a is quite a religious place. You know, there's some strong religious Christian values here, and I think I think there's some liberating qualities to that, and I think there's some constraining qualities to that. And the thing that I'm exploring here, I think developmental work, like these spaces that enable people to see and be seen can serve as like a, an oasis in the desert of religious dogma, uh, at least in the context where I live right now. And so I'm like more oases like this that allow people to say, you know what? I'm changing and I don't know what's going on with me. Even though the church and the Bible says it's wrong to think the way that I'm thinking, but for them to feel held and seen and enabled. This is more of that. More granny experience.
1: So much if we had time, I would I would love to unpack around spiritual side and <laughs> and, and all those things. Cause like you said, you, you used to be you grew up in that in that world and now it's, it's a different way of lens you're looking at things, even though it's still a lens that you hold and some Exactly, exactly. It is truly is and I honor it. When
0: people ask what's my, re- my religion, I tell them I'm a kuzendu farai. They're like, oh, that sounds interesting. What, what's that? I never heard of it though. Exactly. I'm like, it's because I've, I made it up. This is a religion of so one. <laughs> exactly. It's everything. It's Christianity, Zen, Buddhism, Hinduism, Rastafarianism, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. Like everything you can think of. It's just that a word will get too long over time. But it's everything. And there's value in all of it, I, I've experienced. And some limitations as well. Um, but that's it's a conversation I love having. I love talking about. So maybe another time we grab some tea or your favorite beverage. Mine is ting. A, a Caribbean grapefruit drink. I don't know if they have it there, are you? Okay.
1: I don't have it here, but when, when I was in Jamaica a couple of years ago, oh, perfect. my
0: wife yes. yeah. That's my <laughs> beverage of choice. And then maybe coconut water. So we can sit and drink ting and talk about
1: spirituality. The essence of who we are, our soul. I appreciate this conversation and I was I said right at the start, we we're going to traverse so many different areas, but at the same time, there's a link between everything that we've kind of talked about and explored. But FODMET, it comes down to the essence of, of who you are. And it's always good to understand what what drives people to to do the work they do, the love, the passion, the purpose behind it. But ultimately, it starts with saying yes to yourself a very long time ago, and here we are. You're making a difference, making an impact in so many lives, cultures, environments, organizations. And, um, it's, it's always great to have a friend on and it's always <laughs> great for other people just to, to learn and lean more into, into what you're doing. So everything about Kasha, LinkedIn address, website, all that kind of stuff will be in the show notes. So you can definitely check him out cause he has a lot to say and he writes an amazing blog as well so and um, in the future you're going to be hearing from his podcast as well so (laughs) thank you for the nudge brother show I am putting it out there you know I'm putting it out there you're going to be hearing a lot more from him for sure now but I really appreciate your time today thank you very
0: much Mm, thank you same so soulful being with you and the energy of the people that you serve through this podcast it's a blessing sure
1: This is Everyday Leadership. See you next week. Here's a quick preview of who we got on now in this episode. Make sure you're following the show so you don't miss out on this amazing guest. If there's a problem, we always talk about it. We have to find a solution. We have to find a common ground. Otherwise, it's just going to fester and fester and fester.